Good evening, we're in 1 Corinthians 3 and we're reading verses 1 to 9. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 to 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. You'll remember that Paul has been dealing with the problem of division in the churches at Corinth. And he introduces to this in chapter 1 verses 10 through 17. There were factions and schisms emerging within the congregations of the Corinthian church, each trying to justify itself, claiming the name of their particular and favoured leader. Remember, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow Apollos, and then even the super spiritual, I follow Christ. But each group looking down on the other. And Paul has been working to root out the causes of division among them. And for the remainder of chapter 1, and then in chapter 2, 1 to 5, he's really concerned about pride, spiritual pride, that underlies those divisions with an extended discussion of their message, the members and the ministry entrusted to the church. Basically, each of those appear to be weak and foolish in the world's eyes, and we therefore might be tempted to reject them and instead boast in our own strengths to trust in our own wisdom and our own strength. But Paul has shown it is precisely that by these weak and apparently foolish things by which God works mightily, so that our pride might be shattered and his wisdom exalted. And then last time in the remainder of chapter 2, Paul just explained how all of that works, the apparent foolishness and apparent weakness of the gospel message and the gospel ministers who proclaim that message notwithstanding God still saves sinners by it and how does that work well it works because this weak foolish message is in fact if you remember last week the revelation of God himself recorded in the holy scriptures by inspiration and received by us through illumination and as we begin chapter 3 Paul comes back to deal with the problem of division more directly and as we read through the first part of chapter 3 please pay attention to the metaphors around which Paul structures his argument there are three metaphors we only deal with two today the first is verses 1 to 4 infants babies who need milk because they're not yet ready for solid food and then in verses five to nine the metaphor changes to describe the church as god's field in which 
God deploys his servants, gospel ministers, to sow the seed of the word, to water the seed, and God himself gives the growth. And then in the remainder of the chapter, the church, the metaphor changes again to describe the church as God's building, God's temple where he dwells by his spirit. So today we're looking at the, fam- the family metaphor, infants who need a particular kind of food, and the agricultural metaphor where God's field where he sends his servants to sow and water. In our passage though Paul acts as a skilled um, diagnostician as he examines the spiritual condition of the Corinthian believers. So in verses 1 to 3 he makes his diagnosis because the Corinthians were failing to thrive. There was spiritual immaturity and then verses three and four he identifies the underlying causes of that dreadful spiritual failure to thrive and verses five to nine he begins his treatment plan so first of all the diagnosis chapter you see it clearly at the end of verse one and then in verse two it starts off as infants in christ and the back end of verse one and then verse two i fed you with milk not solid food for you were not ready for it and even now you are not ready. They were spiritual, spiritually immature. They need simple teaching. They need baby food. Paul wasn't able to progress the richer fare. He had to repeat the basics over and over, hoping to see in the Corinthians the progress that should mark Christian discipleship. But there is a failure to thrive. They aren't developing and maturing. It is serious. The Corinthians like to think of themselves as remarkably spiritual people. Their own diagnosis was that they were remarkably spiritual. And it is a problem that Paul addresses at various ways throughout the whole letter. They thought that they were the spiritual ones. And Paul, in order to penetrate through their defences and through their pride and boasting, challenges them here. Paul wants them to wake up and alert them to the real dangers of their spiritual condition. And so look how he addresses them. But I... Brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, for you are still of the flesh, in verse 3. So when he first came to them and began to teach them and disciple them, they, were not, they weren't making the progress that he expected, so he had to speak to them as babes and not as mature disciples. And even now, as he begins to write to them again, this is still their problem. They're of the flesh, they're immature. They're in Christ, but they're infants in Christ. God the Holy Spirit has broken in on them and made them new creatures creatures in union with Jesus. But their worldliness, their behaviour, their fleshly behaviour is such that he can't speak to them as spiritual and maturing disciples. Their worldliness precludes that. They're living far too much for the old patterns according to the old preferences and the priorities of the world. It's a dreadful diagnosis when we meet a child that's mature beyond their years. We are normally impressed by that and we we laud that. But when you meet an adult who's acting like a child, we probably tend to pity them at best. The Corinthians should have made progress, but they're babes in Christ. So here we are with the Corinthians awaiting this diagnosis with Paul, from Paul. I wonder what the diagnosis would be for you if Paul made an examination of your spiritual condition would he find somebody who ought to be mature and making progress in godliness 
who in fact is worldly, infantile and immature. Will he look at your life as a Christian and just write against your name a failure to thrive? A stunted Christian who refuses to grow up is a pitiful thing. That's the diagnosis. Secondly, the underlying causes of that diagnosis in verses 3 and 4. For you are still of the flesh, verse 3. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And then verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The issue that is hindering their growth is jealousy and strife. In their pride, they're fighting over which group was the best. The Paul party looking down on the Apollos party and vice versa. And they're squabbling and taking offence and holding grudges and muttering and murmuring, throwing each other dirty looks. And Paul says this is to only behave in a human way. It's to act according to man. It is acting as though Christ was not Lord and his spirit had not made you a new creation after all. It is simply to let dog eat dog. The rules of human engagement dictate our behaviour with one another in the church, where it should be completely different. Now, if you think through the implications of what Paul is saying, Paul has placed his finger on a core principle at the heart of Christian life and Christian growth. He's teaching us that we must learn as Christians to live under new management. We are no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. We belong to the Lord Jesus into union with whom we have been placed by the Spirit of God whom he has given us. So that means we have no right to pride or jealousy. We have no right to self-righteous anger. When did you last lose your temper? And if you think about that and maybe your spouse called you on it, you need to calm down dear and the answer, the repost is, but you'd never believe what they said or did. I have every right to be uptight. They annoyed me like you would never believe. So my anger at this point is justified. They did this and they did not do that. What is that? That's justifying yourself. You're telling yourself that you're every right to lose your temper and fly off the handle because the provocation was worse. And Paul was saying, that's merely human. That's acting according to man. You're acting as if you belong to you. As if you have the right to set the terms by which everyone else around you should treat you and respond to you and relate to you and deal with you. But you're in Christ now. You're under new management. You are his. You are not your own. He has loved you and bled and died for you and borne your sin and guilt and reconciled you to God by the cross so that you've been adopted into the family of God in the household of faith. You are his and you are to live for him. But while you continue to let yourself sit on the throne of your heart, you don't make progress. No wonder your Christian life is stunted and immature. No wonder you have failed to thrive. This divisive, scheming, uh, schismatic spirit that's driven by jealousy and pride which is played out in strife, friction and fighting, that means that you're acting like babies when you should have grown up by now. So the diagnosis is a failure to thrive. The underlying causes is division, jealousy, pride, acting according to man as though 
we lived under the old management of sin and death and self, when in fact we have come to live under new management, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And number three, the beginnings of the treatment plan, verses five to nine. See how the metaphor changes. In verses one to four, the metaphor is family. Infants who need milk, not solid food. Now the metaphor is agricultural. Servants working in a field, sowing, watering. The field is the church, the people of God. Verse 5, what then is Apollos, what then is Paul? Servants to who you believe is the Lord assigned to each. True Christian growth starts and takes place when you debunk these silly ideas about favourite preachers and man-centred worship. I like how one commentator puts it. He said, Paul depersonalises and the pedestalizes himself and Apollos. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? He de-pedestalizes them. That's the last time I'm going to say de-pestalizes them. He topples them from the pedestal on which the Corinthians had begun to place them. And he says, after all, we're servants, we're agricultural laborers, we're farmhands, as he'll go on to explain. That is what they are. And then he presses the point since they're only servants they're not the ones to whom you owe your salvation they didn't convert you or change you or bring you to faith in jesus christ servants for whom you believe is the lord assigned to each they're instruments in the hands of another it is the lord who assigned to each some to apollos some to paul and it is he who makes use of apollos and paul in their lives in different ways to bring people to jesus and to grow them in him So that is where our attention needs to rest, not on men, not on preachers, (coughs) but on the Lord whose servants they are. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It isn't Paul or Apollos you should be focused on. They didn't cause your Christian life to start or to grow. They planted the seed, they watered the seed, they preached and taught and pastored and shepherded and disciplined, but the growth comes from God. Where does the life come from? Where should you look for grace when you have failed to thrive? When by God's grace we come to see that our Christian lives have been stunted and immature for far too long, to whom do we turn for new life, for a growth spurt as it were? Paul says, verse 6, God gave the growth in the past. Verse 7, God still gives growth in the present. Don't look to men for the grace that only God can give. While you boast in Paul or boast in Apollos, what would the equivalent be today? Well, it could be boasting in R.C. Sproul or John Piper or John Calvin or John Owen. No, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. We're on the same team working together in God's field as his fellow labourers, but only he gives the growth. God gives the growth numerically. God gives the growth spiritually, corporately in our life together, individually in our private Christian lives one by one. No pastor, no plan, no programme. Growth is God's business and it comes from him. When we forget that, we look to men instead of to the Lord for our growth and we either lionize them 
because we believe they are the answer or we demonize them because we believe they are the problem. And then what happens is that the church fractures, divisions arise, strife and jealousy percolate and acting in a human way, our growth is stunted, we fail to thrive. Are you a baby Christian who should have grown up? Is it because you're looking to men for what only God in Christ by his spirit can give? Or perhaps because there is strife and jealousy causing divisions bubbling up in your heart. When you step back from all that Paul is saying, there's a call for repentance. A call not to put our trust and hope and confidence for vitality and growth in programs and plans, but to come back to the Lord who alone gives the increase. Come back to Jesus who gives the growth, who can give a new growth spurt when for far too long we've been stuck in spiritual immaturity. If you are a believer, you have come to live under new management. Jesus is on the throne of your heart. He is Lord. Maybe you've been trying to live as though that were not true. Paul says it's time to repent. Your spiritual immaturity is the symptom of which your refusal to bend the knee to King Jesus is the cause. It's the idolatry of pride in your heart and of self-reliance. It's time to say with the hymn writer, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol may be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. I want Jesus first. I want Jesus most. I want only Jesus to be the source from which my life comes. Bring him back to me. As one hymn writer also said, make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself, dream your dreams, chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers, but all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the lie that it was up to me to make a name the world remembers, but Jesus is the only name to remember. If we would only do that, I think we would find ourselves more profoundly united and we would find ourselves beginning to grow. May the Lord help us to turn back to God who alone gives the growth. To God be the glory.